Dame Jessica Ennis, obviously our gold medalist, our poster girl of 2012 Olympics, and now an entrepreneur. But the thing I've come away with is how wonderfully lovely she is. She just made me smile the whole interview. And I had to stop the interview quite cringeworthily, probably to her, and just tell her how thankful I was, but I'm sure all us women are, that she stood there representing the strength, the inner beauty in us women, what we can do when we set our minds to it and achieve the most magnificent things. It was just a moment in time. And I know that we're all going to thoroughly enjoy listening to this one and maybe just feel a little bit more Beyonce. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Jessica. What an honour it is to speak to you today. We've just had a really good chinwag because we realised we'd known a couple of people in common and we both seem to be on the start of our, well, I'm a few more years in, but we seem to be on the start of our business journey. Yeah, it's so nice. It's a completely different world. We've just been chatting away and yeah, it's so interesting to go from one area of your life that you've been in for such a long time and that kind of defines you in a way Mm. to then move into a a completely new area. It's, yeah, lots of learnings and it's, yeah, massively interesting. We're going to talk about the fact that you now live more of a good life in nature, but you've also been dealing with lockdown with little ones. Mm -hmm. We seem to be coming out of that winter sort of darkness, don't we? The, The sun is shining. I don't know if it is for you today. How's it been, this whole lockdown? And do you feel like we're re-emerging? Yeah, I, I definitely feel that things are starting to change. You know, I was down in London working yesterday and that was the first time I'd been on the train for the past year. So that was just a bizarre experience in itself. But yeah, I feel that everything's starting to gradually kind of get back to normal and life has been so surreal for the past few months. I think everyone's had different challenges along the way and, you know, having small children at home and homeschooling and, you know, managing everything else around life and work has been yeah, just a, a real eye-opener, but also a time of, of reflection as well, I think. There's a lot of people I've spoken to, now they're sort of, you come out of it, don't you, slightly forgetting what it was like in the mayhem moments, you know, yeah. with the homeschooling at its peak, with you setting up your business. But I think people are sort of slightly looking back going, wow, we did have that time with our kids and let's hope we'd never repeat it. <laughs> I'm not saying, <laughs> we love them dearly, don't we? But we it's do. just not so intense. <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. I think you kind of look back and I I think, gosh, how how did we live like that? Having, 
you know, permission to go out the house for an hour of exercise a day and, you know, all the schooling that you were doing, you know, we set up a business and developed a team all over Zoom and, and online, which was bizarre in itself. But yeah, you kind of look back and when you're in it, you're in it. So you just, you just mm. get on with it, don't you? You just continue mm. and you try and make best use of your time and be the best you can be in all those areas. But actually now, yeah, it, it seems so, so surreal that we went through not just a couple of weeks of it. It was weeks and weeks and weeks of it. I know. It's. I mean, when you think it's like 15 months that we've been going through this, it's crazy. I'm wondering what type of PE teacher you are. <laughs> was PE high on the curriculum in your household? Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, you know, I the kids are so active anyway. Liv's three and Reggie's six. So they are full of energy and obviously being in the house all day and trying to get them to learn and stimulate them in lots of different ways you know burning off energy was such a massive part of of keeping them happy and entertained so yeah we did little pee classes in the garden and me and my son would go out on runs out in the peak district together oh, which wow. was just such a nice like bonding time together and yeah we I set up little like mini assault courses in the garden and little hurdles and things like that so yeah there was lots of fun times to be had especially doing PE. Treasured moments. Yeah, definitely. Really special moments. Well, I'd love to go back to the beginning of your story, actually, because I know that you grew up in Sheffield and your parents, Vinnie and Alison and your sister, Carmel, your father is from Jamaica. And I read that you actually think that you inherited his sporty genes from him. What was your life like growing up? Childhood for me was great. I have lots of fond memories of growing up in Sheffield. My mum and my dad were really kind of relaxed parents, really kind of chilled and down to earth. My dad was absolutely super duper laid back and just really hands on. And I just remember lots of memories of going out in the Peak District and going on walks, lots of family time together. It was tough growing up. You know, we grew up in the centre of Sheffield. You know, my mum was relatively young when she had me. She was 20 wow. and then went on to have my sister. So, you know, times were hard. It was hard to yeah. <laughs> grow up that that quickly at that age and have young children and, you know, give them everything they need. And, you know, the financial side of life was was always something that my mum was very worried about and you know you kind of sense that as a child when mm. you know you have to think about oh can we go there because have we got enough petrol in the car or can we go on that trip have we got enough money it was always kind of that awareness but surrounding that we were given so much love and so much energy and attention that it kind of drowned out any of those worries for us as children about money or what we had or what we didn't have and I suppose the prejudice side as well, me and my sister just, this was our family, you know, my dad was black and he's from Jamaica and my mum's white and she, you know, is from Derbyshire and mm -hmm. that was our family. There was, we didn't feel any different to anyone else. And I suppose it wasn't until we got to, well, me personally, that I got to junior school that I experienced a little bit of negativity around the way I looked. And it was a question that I then kind of became more aware of than I'd ever been in my life. But with her parents, you know, they're supporting me. I always kind of found a way to understand it and they kind of 
taught me the right side, the wrong side and, you know, how I should feel about me and my family. Did you bring that question home? So when it was dawning on you, when you were getting that sort of thing, did you bring that question home? And and I'm just interested, what is that response? Yeah, I think I just remember one particular occasion where a girl at school had had said something to me and it, it upset me and I'd gone home and I'd said to mum, you know, this is what this girl said. And I remember my mum just sitting me down and just talking me through everything and and making me understand that everyone's different. We all have different families and backgrounds and experiences. And she just made me feel completely reassured and and secure in in the way she responded to me about it. And that's something that I now try and bring to my children. You know, I Mm. am constantly saying to Reggie and and Liv that, you, you know, you are part Jamaican and we are all different. And some people look like this, some people look like that. But we all, you know, we bring something unique to the world. Yeah. So yeah, I I learned a lot about how my parents communicated race to me as a child and definitely how I will communicate that to my children as well. And do you think it's moved on now you're communicating to the next generation? Yeah, I I think, you know, the past year or so, it's been a, a turbulent year with, with everything that's happened and Black Lives Matters. And, you know, there's so much awareness, which is so important. And just an understanding where people actually take a step back and understand it from a completely different perspective that they've probably never looked at race before. Yes. And, you know, I, I will speak to my dad. You know, he he grew up in Jamaica as a young child and then he came to England in the 50s and 60s wow. where it was, you know, a really challenging time for a black man. And he shares lots of stories with me and, and insights to how he fit, felt at that time. It's shocking. It's upsetting to hear some of the things that he had to go through. But, you know, he does and I feel that things are changing. There's always probably going to be that underline of racism somewhere within society, unfortunately. But I think the more we talk about it, the more Mm -hmm. we're aware of it Mm -hmm. and we question ourselves and ask questions of others, then, you know, the better it it can get. And I think also the younger generation, you know, I was talking to my niece and she was talking about a friend and she just spoke about the dyslexia and something else. And and I was like, how at five are you aware of all of this? And (laughs) it was almost like even neurodiversity. There is so much more acceptance in these young souls. Yeah that I've got to believe that we are going to be living in a very different society when they've got the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. I really do feel that they're just so much more aware. There's so much more has been spoken about. There's so, I don't know, I feel like there is change in the air. And especially, as I said, about these little ones that I see, they wouldn't have a clue what is different. Mm. It seems to be such a I don't know. I'm so hopeful and I'm so glad that you think so as well. But if we go back to you and athletics, I read that you were 10 years old when your parents took you to summer camp. And I did laugh because I'm just wondering if the 10 year old you were like, oh God, summer camp. You know, why am I, why do I want to do that? And this is where you won your first athletic prize. Look, I can't even say the word. I'm so unathletic. <laughs> athletic prize. Did you instantly feel a connection because you know at 10 girls are changing aren't we and all these sorts of things mm-hmm. did you instantly feel something I honestly did I from that age and the, the first time that I went down to the track it was purely by accident you know my mum it was summer holidays my mum was thinking how am I going to entertain the kids how am I going to entertain her <laughs> but, yeah you know she only had six weeks she definitely wouldn't have coped in lockdown but yeah she was just trying to find a way of, of two weeks to entertain me and my sister and burn off some energy and she found this summer camp that they had in Sheffield at Don Valley Stadium every year and she took us down and 
I loved it from the start. I loved running. I loved being active. I loved the challenges of all the different events that we were doing. I loved the competitive element of possibly winning or winning a prize. And I remember my sister was the complete opposite. She kind of didn't have any desire to run or be active. She sat on the kind of steps and the stairs in Don Valley Stadium. And, you know, she just wanted to make friends and socialize. And she loved that element of it. But for me, it was just about being active and mm. being competitive. And yeah, it kind of drew me in from, from a very young age. And it sounds like I talk at Holly & Co about finding your diamond. You know, I believe that we all have this diamond that the world needs to find in every human. And it it really feels like you found it at a young age. And some of us don't, you know, till older, mm. but actually it's fantastic. You made an immediate impression though on your coaches, didn't you? And particularly Tony, who took you under his wing. Did you sort of know that this was going to be your future or did people start to tell you it might be that you had a talent no, I, I really, I really didn't have any idea at that stage. I, I was just doing it for pure enjoyment and pure love of being in that environment. You know, obviously Tony, my coach at that stage, he he says now that he saw something within me. You know, the style, the the way I ran, the way I kind of held myself, my posture, and those key things that you look for in an athlete, those physical things. But for me at the time, I had no no idea. I didn't really understand the level of competitions within athletics. I, I obviously knew about the Olympics, but I had no idea how you got there and, and what it took to get to that point. I didn't understand the junior championships and how you became a senior athlete. So for me, it was... A whole new world. Yeah, a completely new world of, of unknowns. At that point, did you want to be something? Like you're going to say, yeah, vet. <laughs> I think when I was really young, I, I wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to be a chef. Okay. So two very random <laughs> things. And then as soon as I did athletics, yeah, I, I just wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to be the best I could be, I suppose. I wanted to see where it would take me. It feels like you potentially had an ability to focus in, even at a young age. And I've got to think that you had a way of mentally being resilient because this must have taken you, you know, through your teenage years where you had to dedicate yourself. What was that like? Because it's hard enough, isn't it, for any of us to have focus in those years. And my son, he's doing his second day of GCSEs right now. So I'm literally living what it's like to be a teenager. How did you navigate that period? It was challenging without without a doubt. It was, um, <laughs> yeah, like you say, that period in your life where you are changing massively. You have hormones all over the place and you're trying to be socially accepted by all your friends and mm -hmm. you're trying to do the right thing academically because you want to have good grades and you want to do well at school. And at the same time, you're then trying to marry that up with athletics and a sport and trying to be the best you can be in that environment. So yeah, I felt tugged in so many ways and I felt the kind of pressure of wanting to do well on the track, but I still wanted to see my friends. I still wanted to have a social life. And mm. yeah, there was plenty of times where I had to kind of sit back and think about the sacrifices that I had to make at that time for the long term. And also it was, you know, a huge risk. It was, there was no guarantees that I would be a successful athlete. Yeah. I wouldn't get injured and I'd be successful for many years. No one was guaranteeing that for me. So it was always a huge, huge gamble and something 
something that can be quite stressful at the time when you're you're growing up and and everything's changing so much and you know you you're expected to make all these big decisions about university and and your life and your future so yeah I did find it quite challenging through those years what made you because I'm just thinking about myself actually at that age what made you dedicate yourself to this did you have in your heart uh as you went on during the years, you must have then started maybe to have some focuses and some goals that you wanted to get to. Did that then become sort of a way of life? I think I always had huge focus in what I did, even from a young age. And that inner ability to, if I focused on something and set a target for myself or something that I wanted to achieve, whether it was training a certain number of times a week or get into a competition at English schools or a South Yorkshire championships or whatever it might be, I kind of had that ability to just like knuckle down and keep really focused and keep driving towards it. And I never... It was almost a failure to myself if I Mm. didn't continue. So I always had that kind of internal pressure that I would put on myself to keep going till I got to where I needed to be. And I think I had that from a very young age. You had your blinkers on and you were focused in on something. And that is quite a gift. I was going to say, I think as I got older, I I started to understand the uniqueness of what I was kind of starting out to achieve. And as I got older, I saw that, you know, making these small sacrifices along the way would have a bigger impact on on me as an athlete and my life in the long term. And I suppose as I started to understand that, it made it easier and my drive was just so honed into, mm. you know, purely focusing on, on making sure that I achieved those goals and those dreams. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. So every week we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey covering a whole range of topics. Here I am talking to our incredible coach Kate, founder of The Green Door Project, all about how to have difficult conversations. You can find the rest of her inspiring tips and tricks on my IGTV grid. People judge other people by their behaviour, but you judge yourself by your intent. And no one really yes. knows, unless you share your intent, yes. people are constantly yes. trying to second guess. And that in itself is stressful for somebody receiving feedback. What do they really mean? Or are they thinking they're going to eventually fire me? And you're like, no, I'm saying this to you because I believe in you and I want to see you go all the way, whatever it might be. That's really, really important. Set a positive intent and share it. The second thing is to ground your feedback in data. So what is it that you saw or felt or heard that led you to make this kind of assessment or have this opinion? Because this helps them understand you think you might get it, but you really want to be clear and you want to kind of ground it in a something that led you to believe this thing so that they can understand. And then the third thing is prepare. Don't just walk into these conversations. Like preparation is king. When to have it, your tone, even your body language. For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram as we tackle a different area of business. With a continued commitment to empower you, Dell are giving away a tech in a box every week. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co where you'll also find loads of tangible advice on everything from marketing to brand and HR, all thanks to Dell. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. 
way that we can read people, the way that we can interact, the way we can bring people along with us, sell an idea, become a chameleon the second you see them or speak to them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You're like, okay, I've got to be this way. Mm. When I talk to the community, it's one of the things that I really advocate is this ability to connect on a human level with whoever it is, be it a bank manager, investor. Mm. I've certainly found that to be one of my greatest tools in business. Did you feel that that's what you did through your athletic career? Because we're about to come up to the big 2012. <laughs> but, you know, during that time leading up to that, did you almost have to manage out? You know how people say in business, you've got to manage up, not just down. You've mm. got to manage up. Did you also feel that you were sort of managing those around you to almost get the best out of you? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, the reason why I was so successful during those years of my career was because of the team and the environment mm -hmm. that I was in, you know, the psychology of the team, how we all interacted and brought our individual passions as a collective to one main goal. And that main goal was me performing on the track. And that relationship and how we interacted was such a huge part of why we, I was able to go out there and perform by myself so successfully. So, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, the psychology of, of understanding relationships and how myself and my coach communicated under stressful situations. And, you know, when, when pressure's piled on you, that's when our true self comes out, you know, our, our personality, yes. our traits yes. change. And, Absolutely. You know, more recently, I've, I've just been on a, a psychology course that my old psychologist runs, and he's really delved into understanding how we work together as teams, but how we take in our mindset and how we how that affects our behavioural style and how we interact in certain different environments and how that changes, like you say, you know, meeting different people and how we have to adapt the way we we talk and and who we are slightly to you know to get the most out of ourselves and the people around us. It's fascinating. It just shows you, doesn't it? This is a subject that you can never know, isn't it? There's no completion of the journey of learning all of this, is it? It's uh, amazing. And I know yeah, we're going to talk about Tony because am, am I right in saying he took you all the way. Yeah. So I met Tony when I was about 13. Oh my So goodness. I came across him at the track and it's, you know, it's a really unique relationship because many athletes and many sportsmen and women have, you know, several different coaches throughout their career, particularly their early career. And when I met Tony, he obviously, you know, he saw something in me. He saw that I had, you know, some key qualities that he thought, you know, would be great to develop. Could and, make and it, maybe. Nurture. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Shine your diamond. That's what I call it, like <laughs> shining it up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He saw that. And, you know, we worked together. And again, it was all about how we communicated. We're two very different people with two very different personalities. So we spent many years learning how to communicate, how to best approach each other under the pressures and expectation that you know, sport brings. And we, yeah, we learned so much over the years and we were able to, you know, go from a young 13 year old wow. who knew nothing about sport to, you know, Olympic and world champion. Oh God, that must be so beautiful. I, I can only imagine it's, it's a relationship like no other. There was lots of highs and lows along the way, though. I, <laughs> Definitely. I, I've got you. I've got you. Yes, we won't be going into all of it. But, I, it, but on the basis of like just two human beings having that adventure together, 
is so rare yeah. and it, it, it's just an amazing thing. Well, you'd graduated from uni, uh, established yourself as an outstanding elite British athlete. London 2012 Olympics were on the horizon. I can't actually begin to imagine the pressure because when I told my son who I was interviewing, he pulled out his Olympics sticker book that he got when he was little. Uh-huh. There you were on the front cover. I just took myself back. So we YouTubed you. We watched your race. We watched it again and I felt it again. And it was unbelievable. You know, you were the poster girl. British Airways I mean, I didn't realise this until researching this, created a huge mural of you so that when you flew over, there you were on the grass, (laughs) weren't you? Isn't that unbelievable? It was so bizarre. (laughs) As a team, we flew into London because we had a training camp just before the Olympics out in Portugal. And I just remember flying in with the team and looking down and seeing, you know, my face and thinking, oh gosh, there's quite a bit of pressure for me to win this. And, you know, trying to kind of, block out as much as yeah. I could but while, while you yeah, pulled down surreal. the window blinds yeah, <laughs> yeah nothing to see out there guys no yeah. one's making a big deal out fine. of me whatsoever <laughs> it's all about us tell me about that really I mean you must have been asked this about a billion times but you were the poster girl and I've heard and I've seen you say about you know if you didn't win you were going to think that that was a failure because actually that's what we all wanted. And we did, you know, we were all sitting there cheering you on. Do you think you can channel that sort of negative or anxious energy into something positive? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that time for me was, you know, the most amount of pressure and expectation I'd ever experienced. I had no idea what I was going into. I mean, I don't think many humans have the experience you had. I mean, it it was so, so surreal because I'd obviously experienced pressure on the track at various different competitions yep. and yep. I'd won medals up until that point, but I'd never done an Olympics. I was injured before my, what was to be my first Olympics in Beijing in 2008. So I'd missed that experience. Wow, yeah. And 2012, I was going into my first Olympics as the favourite and everybody was expecting me to win. And, you know, I, I think more than anything, I just had to remain so, you know, I had to draw on that focus again that I'd always had and just remember that all these people were around me to support me. Everything was consistent and stable as it had been for the past few years. And I wanted to make sure that nothing changed in my immediate environment. So there was lots of pressure to move to London and focus training down there or to change parts of my team and, you know, make all these little changes so that I was ready for London 2012. And actually that would have been my absolute downfall. I needed mm-hmm. to keep everything the same and keep comfortable in, a vi- in an environment that I was familiar with. And that's what we did. And being able to be confident and to know those people were around me supporting me, I was able to just focus on performing, on training, on doing the process, following that right process. And then if I did that on the day of the of the event and stepping out on the track, I knew I was ready. I was I was always competitive and that environment was what I'd kind of dreamed of. It's just, I feel so excited. I feel emotional and I've, my hair and my arms is going up as well talking to you because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that moment that it all sort of had to come together and that there was this, your peak in your career. You know, this was, everyone is looking at you. This is your moment. Did you manage to enjoy it? Did you manage to get into it? Did you feel that you had 
become the best version of yourself as you stood there. Or we talk all the time about imposter syndrome and we talk all the time. And I'm I'm wondering, I've never spoken to someone like yourself. I'm assuming there's no room for imposter syndrome. And it's interesting just if you think about when people go for something, like, is there a way that you can train yourself to believe in yourself so much? Because that must have happened at that very mm. moment that you did it. Yeah, I I think preparation, experience and all those things that you do to get to that point gives you that confidence. And when you're in that moment, wherever that might be for you, you have to be there. You have to assert yourself and know that, you know, you're entitled, you're allowed to be there and you should be there. And I think for me at that moment when I, I stepped out into the track for the first time for the first event for the hurdles in my head I was so nervous I was so anxious I didn't know what was going to happen I didn't know if I'd fall over the first hurdle (laughs) and everything would go wrong but I had to put all those worries all that doubt all that negativity out of my mind Mm -hmm. and tell myself that this is my moment this is where I'm supposed to be like no one deserves this more than I do I've I've worked so hard I've sacrificed I've trained I've I've done everything to put myself in the best possible position and now this is my time to deliver to do it and I just had to keep telling myself that that I'm ready I'm not injured I'm I'm not ill everything has aligned and this is my moment and I Perfect went out there storm. and yeah exactly I went out there and and did it yeah but I was very very nervous <laughs> I remember watching and seeing you crossing that finish line and it chokes me up just thinking about it because I'm looking at a picture of you doing it and your arms spread wide, you know, the look in your eyes, the roar of the crowd, the roar of all of us, what your family must have been doing at that moment and how sodding proud we were of you and also how sodding proud us women were of you because I think, like, you just speaking there, you know, I hope everyone is listening. You know, you did everything to be there. You deserve to be there. And for some reason, us women have this monologue, don't we, in our minds where we we doubt that. Mm. We won't even say it out loud in case we're sounding a little bit, bit ego, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that that's something that you have experienced just as a woman or do you think that's all athletes? But I don't know. I feel like it's quite a feminine trait. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think we as a society view women in so many different ways. And like you say, you know, we can be confident and own, you know, an area of our life or, you know, a business world or a a track or a field or wherever it might be and be entitled to be there and own it and it not be perceived as arrogance and, you know, those negative connotations that you have with it. It's about, you know, standing up and owning a situation and and being proud to do that and not worrying about the judgment of others and what others might think and I think that's the most important thing you have to put all those perceptions and worries and judgment that other people might bring to you and solely internally focus on what you want to achieve and and owning it yourself and I think you know there's so much to learn from you know our our experiences as women and there's so much that I think about every day that I want to tell my daughter and I hope that she picks up on the things that she sees me do and how I conduct myself and you know she takes that into her life as well but yeah it's it's such an interesting area. Did you have to battle off things and negative connotations about maybe the way that you were going to win? You know, you were that confident. I mean, because I I think it's something, I don't know if you agree, but the 
slightly this narrative of if you make it, you have to apologize for making it. If you make it, you feel like, oh my goodness, but you know, you can make it too. (laughs) Is that something that you've had to battle getting to that point and still do? Yeah, I think more than anything, that kind of obviously the sporting world that I was in is still a very male dominated world. Mm. And although I had some incredible women around me, I had a fantastic physio, Alison Rose, and, you know, she guided me and helped me in so many different ways. It's still an environment and a world where it's kind of a bit unfamiliar and you have to question yourself and the things you say sometimes. And also, you know, there's still so many taboos around you know, like we talked about like your menstrual cycle, understanding how that correlates with how you train. Mm. And those discussions aren't had, well, they definitely weren't had when I was a competing athlete. And it's kind of being able to open that conversation so that women feel in their own, you know, line of work that they can speak the way they feel they want to speak and be confident. They can and, be a woman. And, and yeah, and be who they are, exactly. You said um, the only one who can tell you you can't win is you and you don't have to listen. I love that. I just think that is just such a brilliant thing. And I think one of the things I hope everyone's getting, because I'm almost feeling more Beyonce as we carry on, is that <laughs> sort of sense of, do you know what I mean? Like owning it. I think you've said that a couple of times now, you know, really owning it. Tell me how you felt afterwards, because it must have been bloody strange, because firstly, you pulled it off, you did it. <laughs> but then there must have been that quiet moment afterwards. Yeah, I I just, it took such a long time for it to sink into into reality because, you know, those two days of competition was so physically demanding. I felt like I was holding my breath the whole time Mm. thinking, I've just got to get everything right, get through the next event, get through the next event. And then when I crossed the finish line and realised that I'd done everything I needed to do, I'd won, it was just such huge relief and just that excitement of I've done it. I've actually done it. And then the following day, I remember waking up, you know, I went back to the athletes village and I spent the night by myself. Like it was, I just wanted to like scream. And And you weren't in a pandemic. I wasn't in a pandemic, so I could hug everyone. (laughs) But I remember just waking up that morning in my little single bed in the village and and I, I slept with the medal just under my pillow. And, you know, that moment when you wake up, you think, mm. oh, has this actually happened? And then I saw the medal. I was like, oh, my gosh, oh. this is a reality. This has happened. And, yeah, it was just, yeah, one of my my proudest moments. And, yeah, I mean, still talking about it now, like eight years down the line, which is incredible. It still makes me feel just so proud and so... Mm. Yeah, so happy. You know what? I think it makes us all feel so proud. I've got tears in my eyes just even recounting it. I don't know what it must be like for you, but I'm sure anyone listening right now is all with their arms waving because (laughs) it was just so amazing to be behind you. I think what's interesting is that, you know, you have this lifetime achievement now under your belt. You think, right, now I've done it because this was your diamond. It was in your veins. It was in your blood. Would you say that passion was and the intensity of your passion was part of the success of getting there? Because a lot of people sort of ask what my Duracell battery is. I would say it's passion. Mm. You know, it's the thing that when you're having a really shit day Mm. gets you out of bed. It's the thing that, I don't know, it's unquantifiable, isn't it? Would you say that that was part of your um, rocket fuel? Oh, without a doubt, you know, a huge, huge part of, of everything that I achieved as an athlete was passion. If you don't have that 
drive and that motivation, that passion behind what you do, then it's so hard to find that motivation because, mm. you know, your journey is not going to be smooth. There's going to be things that go wrong. And if you don't have that passion and that love for what you do, then it's very, very difficult to pick yourself back up in those low moments and push on. And I think that passion that you have, you, you have to find it, you know, where you can. And for me now going into a new world, it was always about finding something and doing something that I was equally as passionate about that meant something to me, that resonated with me yeah. and that made me feel, you know, happy, confident and, yeah, driven to create change in a really positive way. On my 40th birthday, I worked out that on average you have 29,000 days on this planet. This knowledge has since filled me with a focus and desire to not only make each day count, but to strive to be deeply happy and fulfilled. So I decided to put pen to paper and wrote Do What You Love, Love What You Do to help follow your passion and build your happiest life. From money fears to sharing all my biggest mistakes so you don't have to, Do What You Love, Love What You Do is packed full of tangible advice alongside colour and creativity. And in a world first, its very own product collection. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is out now. Head to holly.co slash book to buy your copy today. In 2014, you gave birth to your son. Now, alongside dealing with having a baby, this is where I can't even cope with you, <laughs> in the nicest way, being the girl that would hide the netball bibs from my teachers, okay? <laughs> the emotional side of being a mum, a new mum. You were also then training for Beijing and uh, you were only 15 months after giving birth to your son that you won the heptathlon world title in Beijing and a third world championship gold in a row. How did you do that? Sorry, that's what actually everyone <laughs> wants to ask you. <laughs> How? It was not easy. It was my absolute biggest challenge of my life and you know every new mother out there knows you know how hard and how challenging it is when you become a mum for the first time and yes. you have all these ideas and expectations and you know how it's all going to unfold once your baby arrives and also through pregnancy mm. but your body changes you change mentally physically and once your baby's here you're a completely different person and for me, it was definitely the most challenging time because I had in my mind that I wanted to come back and carry on competing for the short term. You know, I'd set myself on two more years to get to one more Olympics. And then that was me, you know, more than happy to sign out and say, thank you, I'm done. <laughs> but then at the same time, I had my son and they're not predictable creatures. They don't sleep when you want them to sleep and they're, they're rough all night. No, that I can imagine you had a really nice, um, nice little thing. Yeah. Like I'll be training and then they'll do two and yep. two hours sleep and then I'll stop training, I'll feed and yep. then they'll go back to sleep again. See, that's what I had in my head. And, you know, I told everyone, it's going to be fine. He'll come down to the track. It'll be fine. Actually, that does not happen. And that did not happen. And <laughs> it makes you grow as a person. And I learned so much about myself. I learned so mm. much patience. And at that point, it was all about, yes, I wanted to come back and I wanted to carry on my career to show my son that I could be successful, you know, as a mother as well. But at the same time, I had that tug of, gosh, I want to be the 
best mum I can be and I don't want to look back at this time and have any regrets and I want to do this properly. It was challenging and it it made me question a lot during that time. But, you know, to look back now, retired. Did you feel like giving up? That was the first time in my career that I felt, I just want to stop. Yeah. I just, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I was just questioning myself all the time, thinking, you know, I'm going back to training, but I could get injured tomorrow. And then all the training that I've done, the sacrifices that I've made are just wasted and you know is it worth it Mm. so you know before it was all about me you know being selfish as an athlete and and doing everything for my performances whereas then becoming a mother yeah it wasn't about me it was all about my son and making sure that he had everything he needed and that he was supported and nurtured with me there so it was yeah it was a, a hugely challenging time and I wouldn't change one moment of it. It was hard, but looking back now as a retired athlete, I don't have any regrets that I didn't give it a go. He was part of that amazing final part of my my journey in, in sport. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm just really proud to say that he was there and, and hopefully I've inspired other mums, whether they're in yeah. sport or whatever line of work that, yeah. you know, you, you can do it. And um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing feeling when you do. Just recently I recorded my 100th podcast and my son came on at 16 years old. And he's so sodding proud of me Mm. that thank God I didn't give up. You know, thank goodness. You know, yes, they're so cute, aren't they? And they feel they're so helpless. But actually, you you are actually bringing up adults. They're just miniature at that time, aren't they? And I'm so glad I didn't give in. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, I can't imagine crying on the side of a track, you know, with the baby crying and you trying to concentrate on you, Mm. what that must have been like. I think the the hardest thing is is understanding that balance, isn't it? And being able to know that as a mum, you're going to feel guilty about everything, absolutely everything. And it's knowing that, Mm. you know, what you want to you want to be there for your baby and you want to provide them with as much as you can with the love and and the environment that they need and yeah you want them to look back at this time and and take something amazing from it there's so many different elements to it and everybody is so individual in their approach to motherhood but yeah I, I look back at those those two years and yeah it fills me with absolute pride and you know, just having the photos for Reggie to look back on now and, and the videos and, yes. you know, the parts that he was part of. And, you know, I got back from Beijing at the World Championships with that gold medal and I was able to come back and put that over his neck and his little beaming face. And, you know, that's a moment that's going to be with with us forever. God, I'm so proud of you. I feel already emotional. <laughs> you know, we have role models as women, not enough. You know, when I speak to people about business, young girls, you know, who's your business role models, female business role models. They don't have one. You were that. That's the other pressure that you might have experienced. Mm. You were a role model for us too. Suddenly we started to know your name. It is something so empowering. You were our Beyonce. You know, you were that thing. And it was just, that's why I think I feel so emotional talking to you because we, we do owe you. We really owe you for being our poster girl. Not for everyone looking at the Olympics, but just our poster girl for us women. So thank you. I just had to say that. Sorry. Oh, thank you. Emotional. Um, Tell me, retiring must have been hard because, well, firstly, let's not just um, skip over the fact that in Rio, you won silver. Am I right in saying, this is incredible, that only two female athletes have ever 
given birth and retained their title in the same Olympic circle and neither in the seven disciplines of the heptathlon. You're literally like a world first. I think that's a bizarre thing, isn't it, about sport? You know, every sport and every event is so different. And with my event, the heptathlon, it was such a complex event. There's been, you know, athletes that have come back to, you know, performing in some of the longer distance events or the the middle distance. But for me, coming back to my event, it was so explosive, so strength-based and so kind of had so many different elements. It wasn't about just running in a straight line. I had to high jump again and hurdle and and learn to throw and, you know, all the rotational element that comes with, with all those events when you've been pregnant and, you know, that whole area of your body has changed so much. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, a massive feat, but something that, yeah, I'm so proud of because like you say, not many women have been able to come back and do that. Again, just it's so inspiring. And, but then there was this moment where you said, right, if I get to the next Olympics, which you did, you know, you were going to retire. Did that scare you? Was it a difficult, challenging time for you? I think in all honesty, for me, it was it was a big turning point in my life and it was a, a massive change. You know, I would trained every day. I'd competed every year. There'd always been this focus and everything around my whole life was centered around performance and athletics. And that did like define me. Mm-hmm. But towards the end of my career, having my son and having in my head that I wanted to do two more years and the challenges that it brought, I found myself kind of in this position where my motivation was changing and my motivation started to become I'm motivated by the want to retire. Okay. So when it got to the point where I got to the Olympics and I'd I'd performed and I'd, I'd won another medal, I just felt that it was my time to say I'm happy to go. Like I feel really fulfilled in what I've achieved. And yeah. there was no no one saying, right, okay, you you have to retire now. There was no injury stopping me going on further. My coach wanted me to do another year and the team did. But for me, I just, it's that sweet spot, isn't it? You, I just knew that that was the time for me to say, yeah, I'm really happy I could go on for one more year and compete in London again. But I've had like my biggest highs and achieved all I could ever have imagined achieving within my career. And I'm ready to say, I'm going to move on to something new and some, you know, the next phase of my life. And it felt really, really refreshing. I remember walking my dog in the woods and I'd written this Instagram post because that's how you do it now. You know, you announce everything on Instagram. And I wrote my post and I was about to press send. I I told my husband and my team and everyone knew. And I pressed send and I just felt so like a huge relief and just a big sigh of, oh, I've done this now. And you know, that continuous pressure and expectation, which you love when you're in the middle of it, was something that was, wasn't going to be there anymore yeah. and I was moving on. You'd never known not having that pressure. And I also, when you were just talking, I was thinking about, you know, what do they say? Leave on a high. Yeah. And that's what you did. And potentially as well, I'm reflecting on my story and yours, is mine was slightly, uh, relatively sometimes out of my control. Mm. And I think actually that's the other thing that we can do. We can control maybe the narrative. You know, you almost controlled that narrative. You controlled your story and that's where you wanted it to finish. You weren't going to risk 
the other side of it. And I think that's maybe for all of us, you know, we can actually control it, but potentially that does mean going sooner. Yeah. And it's so hard. It's such a big decision. And I'm definitely the kind of person that wants to please people. And I will say yes to far too much because I I want to to make everybody happy and do as much as I can. And in that moment, I could have quite easily succumbed and said, do you know what? My coach wants me to do one more year. Okay, I'm going to do one more year because he wants me to do it and I should do it. Yeah. And I feel obliged to do it. But actually that's not the right thing for me. And there's there's such a bigger picture. And actually the power in saying no sometimes and making those big decisions is huge. Yes. And there's that, yeah, that's so empowering. Yeah, really empowering. And, you know, I felt that instantly as soon as I made that decision and, you know, let the world know. And then so from there, you have now become an entrepreneur. Tell me what this journey has been like, because this must be like training all over again bit different, maybe not as early starts. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, actually. There's lots of early starts at the minute, but <laughs> yeah, it's completely different. It's a new world. And sometimes you get very comfortable in a world that you're in and, you know, everything's very familiar to you. And sometimes you have to push yourself out of that comfort zone into something new. And I feel that I've absolutely done that here. And, you know, if you would have said to me, you know, four or five years ago, you'd be an entrepreneur starting off in the business world in a completely different world, I would have said, oh, no, no, not for me. I, I don't I don't think I belong there. Um, but now it's it's just such an incredible journey of, of meeting new people, of, of almost like learning a new language, which is which is great, yeah. but also being able to apply who I was in a previous life and my sporting knowledge and world yes. to this new world. And yeah, I'm kind of learning so much and growing and yeah, really enjoying the process of, of this world. And tell me about the business, because last week you launched something that is, it's, it's something, and I admitted to you, I had no idea that, well, you tell me. So last week we launched a new part of the app called Cycle Mapping, and we're really focusing on how women, you know, everyday women, not elite women, just women who want to understand their hormones better, you know, understand their, you know, phases of their menstrual cycle and how they can work with them from a training perspective. So knowing when to train hard and when to back off training, how to recover better, when to rest. And within the app, we create these, um, you know, bespoke programs for each woman that's based on their individual menstrual cycle and provide them with a program to, you know, optimize their training hormonally in the best way. So it's been incredible. We've we've learned so much. We've got an amazing um, physiologist, Dr. Emma Ross, who has worked in this field for such a long time. And I've been able to cherry pick some amazing people from the world of sport to bring them on this journey with us. And, yeah. you know, just try and help as many women just get the best out of themselves and, and train to a, a level that is right for them in a really smart way. I absolutely love this. Now, I'm not going to teach you anything about uh, running, uh, Jessica, because I'm doing couch to 5k at the moment. Okay, so I'm on my 16th run. Amazing. So yes, I, I've, I'm 44. And this is my first time I've ever done 16 runs. But tell me, would your app work for me in sense that I don't have to, you know, I'm not as remember, I'm the netball girl that we're talking about. <laughs> but I am, as I'm getting older, realizing how affected I am by my hormones. So is this a real thing? And why don't we all know about it if it is? Yeah, I think that's that's really true. You know, I first, I'd say my first big experience and understanding my hormones 
beyond my teenage years was when I was pregnant. And that's the time in your life where you get this huge dose of your hormones, you change physically, mentally. And coming back to training, you know, I had no idea that my ligaments would change and all these new hormones would be running through my body and change the way I moved physically. So many women don't understand those phases of, no. you know, of how we have these, you know, influx of hormones when our estrogen rises at certain stages of our menstrual cycle and our life and, you know, the best exercises to do and, and how to get the most out of us. And I think it's just an area that has been glossed over so many times because mm. there's not the the research and the data that's out there that's been, you know, really researched hugely like some of the elements that, you know, receive so much funding and, and mass kind of investment. It's that gender data gap where, you know, these hormone related issues just aren't looked into in, in great depth. And they really do need to be because as a woman, you know, we all know how different we feel when our hormones are going yeah. up and down and we're changing throughout the month or trying to get pregnant or during our pregnancy or postnatally or menopause, you know, our hormones un underpin, you know, our whole life as a woman and being able to understand them at a better and higher level is, is such a, a positive thing for so many women. And so tell me, what would I learn by learning about my hormones? Like, does it make the exercise more effective? What are the, why do I need to know about it? Yeah, so there's there's different phases of your menstrual cycle. So for example, in your follicular stage, you'll find that your estrogen is on the rise. And this is normally the time where you'll probably recall you feel that kind of confidence and that moment where you just yes. kind of, yeah, I feel good in myself. I feel like I'm ready to tackle things. My energy's high. I feel motivated. And that's when you're in your follicular stage and your estrogen is high. So in turn, it's a great time to do the high intensity sessions. So the HIIT sessions or the strength sessions or resistance sessions, because you're more likely to build muscle, mm -hmm. you recover much better and you fatigue less. And these are all just really small things just to know that if I train in this way at this time, wow. I'll benefit much better than if I just train like that all month round. So it's just these real key little nuggets that, you know, not many women know about, but can be really powerful and, um, you know, just help us train in a smart way and, and feel like we don't have to train, you know, do those hit sessions every day or run every day. Yeah. It's about timing and timing it right and, and recovery and rest as well is such a huge part of that. You're our poster girl again, but in a different era now. It's just amazing. I just definitely could talk to you all day. For those of you who can't listen, we're beaming like Cheshire cats. We've both <laughs> got blue tops on. We've both got red headphones on. And we're sort of sitting here just having the best time. But I do end my interviews with the analogy that running your own business is like being on an epic roller coaster. And I know you're very aware of what that roller coaster feels like. If you could say in your career so far what's been your biggest low what would it be um I think without a doubt in my athletic career having an awful injury in 2008 and missing my first Olympics you know at that point I kind of was sailing through athletics and thinking I was invincible mm -hmm. and injuries won't happen to me and yep. aren't I so lucky and then I was hit by this horrible injury which just made me reevaluate where I was and what I'd achieved to that point. And yeah, it was just a huge, huge low, but where I took some great learnings and, 
you know, things to kind of move forward with and, and use to my advantage. And what would you say conversely was your greatest, well, do I need to ask, <laughs> your greatest high? <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, London 2012, you know, for me to be at the peak of my career, you know, enjoying life and athletics, injury free, the opportunity to compete in a home Olympics, be the poster girl and deliver a gold medal to the nation was, yeah, without a doubt, my absolute high. This has just been such a privilege. As I said, we owe you so much. Us women owe you so much. It's just been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I cannot wait. I I mean, I say I can't wait, but when you hurt my abs the way you did the other day, (laughs) I slightly can wait for that. (laughs) I can't wait to learn about my hormones and training. And um, you're just going to have such a bright future. I can just feel it in my bones. But it's that time the interview where I'm going to ask you to read a letter to your younger self which I haven't heard okay but I know you just you read it out to your mum before I did yeah so I was like oh is this okay so I just I rung my mum and said can I just read this to you quickly (laughs) to make sure it's okay it's always good to hear a mum's voice isn't it oh exactly and she yeah she had a few tears running down her face so she was she was happy with it which is good (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us today okay shall I read it yeah go on over to you okay dear my younger self I know you love to do everything 100 miles per hour. You see the competition in everything and patience is an alien thing to you. So often you hear your parents saying, slow down, take your time, everything isn't a race. But I want to tell you that these are going to be key traits and characteristics that will define you, that you will build on and gain a great perspective, which will eventually allow you to use them in an environment where you will thrive under the greatest pressure and expectation. That shy, skinny little girl you see now who feels the pressure of trying to fit in to be the same as her friends will stand out more than you could ever imagine. And although it may feel hard at this particular time to see when your hormones are screaming at you and life beyond school seems like the great unknown, the opportunities that life will offer you will firstly ground you as an individual, take you on a journey that will show you the world and give you a view only others can dream of. So don't be afraid to take a different path to others and don't be afraid to stick to something you enjoy and love. There will absolutely be bumps along the way, but always stay true to who you are, your values and what you stand for, because one day you will have two beautiful children who will value and learn from you more than you will ever imagine. And it will play a huge role in how they develop and begin their own journeys in life. Mistakes will also be made along the way, but don't regret them. Use them as great experiences, learnings, and use them to see yourself and your world from a slightly different angle that will help you grow as a person. Remember, the journey to the top, however frustrating it may be, makes that moment that much sweeter when you arrive. It may sound completely ridiculous now, but you will have such a positive impact and help inspire so many individuals through the power of sport and your own performances. But for now, try not to overthink or worry unnecessarily about things out of your control. Control the controllables. You will always be someone who loves to be organised and prepared, which will stand you in good stead for what life throws at you. But every now and again, don't be afraid to live life in the moment. Remember to celebrate those great successes because they don't come around that often. And believe me, they're going to be pretty unique. 
And finally, never forget that those people closest to you will always be there for you, to help you when you doubt yourself, to pick you up when you stumble and to love you through your very highs and your very low moments. <laughs> oh, it makes me emotional. <laughs> I can understand why your mum was blubbering. Oh, she made me cry. <laughs> she must be the proudest mum. And as I said, we're so proud of you and everything that you've given us and and what a beautiful human you are. And it, it just feels like you're on to your next path and I can sort of see radiating something that is just glorious and so thank you so so much for your time today oh thank you so much it's been so lovely to speak to you before you go don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new dell technologies xps laptop and a whole host of other goodies and if you've enjoyed this episode if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you would you mind rating and reviewing Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.